Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we want you to lead us on. We want you to show us where to go. We want you to walk with us. But, but I think of the passage where, where Jesus, you say, take up your cross and follow, which implies that you're ahead of us and we're, we're looking to you for the lead. You know, what we're supposed to be doing and saying and being, that, that we're looking ahead and you've paved the way. And, and we know sometimes you've paved the way to cross-like places, difficult places, and, and we still we still want to follow you there. Would you help those that are in those cross-like places? Um, and we know you want to lead us into uh, wonderful ministry areas, you know, helping people, loving people. Would you please lead us to those places as well? Uh, I pray over Petri and his ministry that 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 you would pour out your blessing on them as, as they reach out to these gypsy children, that, that so many of them would come to understand that there is a God who made them and loves them and even sent His Son to die for them. I pray that His ministry would be fruitful in this coming year and you'd do amazing things through it to reach more and more kids and families, adults, with the message of the Gospel. May their love shine so brightly that people would know it has to be from you. <clears throat> I pray for us now. I pray for my voice that it would hold out well this morning as I preach and, and that uh, whatever you want to say in the text <clears throat> would be what is communicated. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> all right. So apologies in advance for the voice. You know, I feel like it was fall all over again. So we'll see. Um, So don't forget, um, if you want to check out more about Petri's ministry in Romania, they set up uh, half of the table in the foyer out here has uh, material from Romania and, and their ministry. So check that out as you have a chance um, afterwards. So um, when Jesus started his ministry, uh, his first words were, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That, that's how he started his ministry, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Martin Luther actually wrote about that, and, and it's, a lot of you know, you know Martin Luther, he wrote his 95 theses, right, nailed them to the church door at Wittenberg in Germany, um, and, and kicked off the Protestant Reformation, even though he didn't intend to at that moment. He wanted to dialogue, but, but his first of the 95, number one said this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, Matthew 4.17, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So when Jesus said repent, Martin Luther saying, He had in mind that our whole life was supposed to be about repenting. That's why I loved it. I mean, I mean Petri, what, what they call you guys, in, I mean, repenters, that's like perfect. That's perfect, repenters. And they use it in a derogatory way, but actually that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Here's what I want to do. I want to show, I want us to look at a text that describes what repentance is, what it's about, and, you know, in the new year I realize uh, we're all, we do resolu- maybe do resolutions in the new year. How, how many of you actually have made resolutions? Anybody? Nobody? Oh, look at you guys. You're hopeless. Let's pray. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but, New Year's is it's always a time, whether or not you write the resolution down or even tell anybody, apparently. Um, 
It's a time when we think about things that maybe we could change. It's a new year, new calendar year is coming around. Um, it, it's a good time to repent. And, and, and repenting is, you know, the, the Greek word for repent means to change your mind. Maybe it's changing your mind about who Jesus is and changing your mind about what your sin is and that you need to, you need to turn from it. The, the, the Hebrew word for repent, though, has the idea of returning. Returning. Come back to God. Come back to Him. He, he, it's a very relational term, right? I mean, if you return to somebody, you're coming back into relationships. So, so maybe there's a way, there's a sense in which God wants us to live more closely with Him in the new year. So I want to look at a Hebrew version of repentance. If you turn to Isaiah uh, 55. Isaiah 55, verse 6. All right. I love Isaiah 55, and, and honestly, I would go through the whole thing if I had time. Uh, but it's just a beautiful passage. I mean, the, n- many of you know the invitation at the beginning, you know, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. I love that. Uh, this is written for the Jewish people that are exiled in Babylon. Okay, so they're outside their land. And the interesting thing is that, God doesn't say in this passage we're about to read, uh, return to the land. That's what they all want. They want to go back to their land, to Israel. But he says, return to me. Now, he's going to talk about going back to the land in a minute, but the first thing he says is, come back to me, return to me. So look at Isaiah 55, uh, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord. There's our turning back. And he will have mercy on him. To our God, and he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst forth in song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. Okay, so my intention here is to talk about what repentance is, what's going on here, and and how God describes repentance in this passage. So he starts by saying, uh, Seek the Lord while he can be found. Let him call on him when he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn or return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. So, number one, there's this request. The request is, return to the Lord. C- come back to me. It's a relational thing. That, that, that's the Hebrew idea of repentance. It's, come back. Turn from your sin and come back to me. You need me. I'm your Father. I'm your Lord. So, um, I'll have you notice, first of all, that... Um, when we talk about, like, what kind of repentance is this? 
think of like uh, Jesus' parables when he talked about the lost coin. Uh, Jesus loved to tell parables about people who were lost, right? And they need to turn to the Lord. In the lost coin, you've got a person sweeping up the house and they find a coin. And, and that coin represents a, a, a person. And, and so they, they rejoice. Heaven rejoices when a lost coin, a lost person is found. And there's a lost sheep. Remember the lost sheep? Uh, you have like the 99 sheep that are they're where they're supposed to be and the one sheep that goes astray. And then the shepherd goes after the one sheep, the lost sheep, and brings him back. I don't think those parables are, are the kind of thing going on here, though. I think this return to me is more like the lost son. Here's why. In the lost son, you've got that story. You've got a, a young man who says to his father, Father, give me my inheritance. I want to go now. And the father gives him his inheritance. And you know he goes away. He spends all the money on wild and worldly living. When he has nothing left and no friends, he goes back home to his father. And, and Well, in the meantime, he starts to feed pigs and realizes, this is pathetic. I'm going back to dad. He goes back to dad and, and he repents. He's not even worthy to be called your son. He repents and, and he comes back and he, and, and he doesn't know that he can have that relationship back because he says, hire me as a servant. But what he doesn't realize is he is repenting right then. He's coming back to dad, his father, and he's going to get back into that relationship. That's the repentance here. It's the idea that however far you've gone from God, you know the way back home. Does that make sense? You know how to get back to the Father. You've known Him. This is, this is a repentance spoken to the people of God. Like, like, you know the way back. You know God. When I go home, I know exactly how to get there. You know? I, I, I take County A to 17, 17 to 8. I take 8 to uh, Highway 39. I take 39... That's a long road. I take that all the way down, and, and, and eventually I get off at the lake and exit, whatever that highway is. I don't even know what that name is. But take that road, then I get on uh, Highway 29, turn out right on Moffat and left on Finney, and I'm home. I'm home. That's all i got to do. Six and a half hours, and I'm home. Um, you know the way home. You're a believer. You understand this. And I think that's what's in view here. You know what you're doing. Seek the Lord when we be found. Let the wicked forsake away. Let him return. Let him turn to the Lord. The other thing about this repentance is um, it implies that maybe there's a time when God won't be found. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. This is verse 6. Call on him while he is near. It implies that there's a time when God won't be as close as you wish he was. Uh, you think about like um, Solomon in Ecclesiastes who says, Remember the Lord in the days of your youth. And then he talks about getting old and how, you know, as you get older, and we talked about this a couple summers ago, as you get older, your hearing might get harder, but your heart also can get harder the longer you're away from the Lord. Your heart can get harder. So, so turn to him while he's near, while your heart is soft and ready. doesn't mean he can't break through hard places. You know, he can do anything. He's the God of the impossible, no matter what your age is. But maybe it's not surprising to hear statistics say that the majority of people come to their faith in their teenage years. And there, it doesn't mean he can't do the impossible, but teenage years, there's something special about that. Maybe the heart's softer then. 
Or then you have uh, David in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 95, he says, Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. So, so sometimes we harden our own hearts. And over time, the more you harden your heart, you just don't hear it as well. Now's the time. And that's what he's saying. Now's the time. Don't wait. God is never one for having you wait to repent. There's a lot of things God makes you wait for in life. You know, and you say, I wish it would work. he would do something now. But repentance is not one of those things. It's one of those where you do it now. If you've heard his voice now, you turn. Uh, the other thing I'll mention is um, when, when it says turn to God, it also implies in verse 7 that you're forsaking your old ways and your old thoughts. You've got to turn from something towards something else. So in the new year, if you decide there's something that needs to change in your life and, the, and God puts his finger on that thing for you, you can't just take that thing away and not replace it with something. You've got to replace it with something. When I was... Uh, once when I was back home in uh, Chillicothe, I, was, I did an oil change on my car. Um, and I, uh, I remember I, I took the old filter off and I, and I put the new filter on. But, you know, on oil filters, there's, there's that rubber gasket on the top of the filters, you know. Well, the old rubber gasket somehow adhered to my car where, you, where, where, the, where, the, screw, where the nozzle is. And I didn't realize it. So I put the new filter on top of the old gasket. And that created a problem, and all my oil started to leak out, but I didn't know it. So I'm driving down the road. <clears throat> I think I was driving to, <clears throat> there goes my voice, driving to Henry. And that's about 15 minutes down the road. My grandmother and grandfather lived there. And suddenly, I got no oil. About halfway was Sparland, and I pulled off, and I checked my oil. I got nothing. <clears throat> Just that. Old gasket, that's all it was. I mean, it took the old filter off. You, you think a little rubber gasket, it's like, it's like that thin, and it's like that round. That thin, though. And that caused such a huge problem, that little old thing. And, and so when we look at our lives, you're going to find little old things. Some of you have big old things. But, you know, <laughs> some of us have these little old things, and, and we know they're there. You know what they are. And God's like, turn from those little old things because they're, they're, they're breaking everything else up. They're messing everything else up. They're causing leaks in your life. Why don't you take the old gasket off so you can put the new filter on and you can really... When you put a new filter on, you have to replace what's old with something new. So if you came to a point in your life where you said, man, uh, I listen to a lot of name your type of music. And it has a very negative message. You know, I talked to people that said, I used to listen to country music all the time, but some of, that, some of the messages in those songs are, are, are very, uh, well, well, they're sometimes sexual, that, that they're sometimes immoral. Not, not all of it, of course. I'm not making a sweeping statement here. But some of the stuff that you can listen to can be very wrong and do things to your heart. But if you said this morning, well, that's what it is. I've got I to turn from the music I've been listening to. I'm done with that now. If you don't replace it with something else, well, then you don't have music in your life. So what good is that? Like, like if you have a craving for music, it has to have, you have to replace it with something good. The new oil filter has to go on. Otherwise, you'll still be leaking. So now what will you listen to? So there's always that replacement principle going on. What will I do now? to replace what I'm getting rid of, what I'm turning from. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let him turn to the Lord. 
And then, of course, the promise here is uh, in verse 7, God will freely pardon. Whatever it is you've done, whatever it is you're turning from, it will be forgiven. That's the promise. Now, verse 8 and 9, check these out. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So the second thing he does here, I mean, first he said repent, return to the Lord. The next thing he does is give the rationale, the reasons. Why should you repent? Why should you turn back to God? Why should you forsake ways that you've grown accustomed to, doing things that just come naturally to you? Why should you turn from those things? And he says, here's the reason. My ways and my thoughts, do we run out of screen space there? Thoughts, S. I don't know, maybe that was me. Uh, my ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, is what God says. They're, they're so far above. As high as the heavens are above the earth, he says, so are my ways and thoughts higher than yours. Do you know how high the heavens are above the earth? We'll take the moon, for example. Can we get our moon picture, Jim? Do you know how high the moon is above the earth? There's a picture from the moon to the earth. Wouldn't you like to snap that photo? 238,000 miles, to be exact. Oh, 238,900 miles, to be more precise. That's a long ways up. Now, God says, my ways are higher than the heavens are above the earth. You think about our ways, you think about, you look at planet earth there and you think about our customs, you think about our culture, you think about the way we do things, and you think about the way God does things. You think about what he thinks about. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about all, all sorts of mundane things, but think about what God's thinking about. I'm thinking about Star Wars, you know. God is, God is thinking these thoughts, you know, these high and lofty thoughts, and he says, trust me on this. Do what I tell you. I know a few things. It's like a parent talking to a kid. You know what I mean? You talk to your teenager. I've been down the road before. I know where this leads. This is not good. I remember my dad sat me down and said, Niall, this car that you have is not a toy. It's, it's, it's a vehicle to get you from one place to another. Really? That's what it is? I don't know. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. A lot of you treated cars like toys. I've heard the stories. <laughs> I've heard the stories. Um, but I know my dad said that. I, I should have said, Dad, you owned a Camaro. What are you talking about? You know what I mean. When you're a teenager, it's fun. It's great. You know. But your, parent, your parents wanted to teach you something important that they knew that you couldn't feel or understand or see in that moment. They wanted you to know it. Do you trust God when he says, don't lie, just don't do it. Even if it helps, it helps you at your job, don't do it. And you trust God when he says, don't, do, don't look, don't lust, don't, don't go down that road. Don't do it. Trust me. Trust me. It won't help you. His ways are higher than our ways. And here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes we're like the teenager that doesn't get it. Or to use another example, you know, uh, some of us have dogs that don't listen to us when we let them out, you know, and they don't want to come back. 
might, might do well, eh, might not do too well, I guess. Um, I know it's the owner's fault, it's not my dog's fault, I know it's on me. But, um, I don't want my dogs to run around the neighborhood because that's how you die, you know? <laughs> that's, that's how you get hit by the car, that's how, you, that's how you get lost in the woods in the winter and you never come back. You know, I, I know that, so I don't let them go too far. I know something. So, I think the question is, when obeying God doesn't make worldly sense, it just doesn't make sense, do you obey anyway because His ways and thoughts are higher than yours? Higher than the moon is above the earth, that's His ways and thoughts. That, that His character, His morality is good for all of us at all, all the time. All the time. When I was in, uh, I was in seminary, I started at Trinity Seminary, by the way, uh, Evangelical Divinity School, and uh, I remember I had a professor who was uh, uh, doing a theology class, but he was more of a, more of a philosophy professor at heart. And, and we were asking those heady questions like, uh, does morality define what God does, or does God define morality? And you're like, oh, man. How do I even handle a question like that? You know what I mean? So it, is it that morality, telling, like say telling the truth, is telling the truth right because it's right and so God has to abide by it? Or is telling the truth right because God's character is truth? That one. <laughs> you know, that's the one. I mean, as far as where I land in biblically, morality flows out of the character of God. God is saying, be like me. Be holy as I am holy. Everything is based on who he is and his character. And and even if it hurts, it's worth it. Even if his ways don't make life easy, it's worth it. His ways and thoughts are higher. Oh, here's my other example of that. You know, um, you consider, one, one other example of how high his ways are Remember when Peter talks to Jesus and he's talking about forgiving his brother? And he says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? You know, from a worldly perspective, it kind of makes sense. If someone, if someone offends me seven times in the same way, I'm done with you, you know? That's just a worldly thing. That's just the way we do, you know? Like, you've hurt me seven times. We're done. We are finished. And Jesus says, ah, 70 times seven. That much forgiveness? That I, I can't hold a grudge. I can't harbor bitterness. Really? Now, I, I know. I'm not talking about reconciliation. Reconciliation is a different animal. That, that's when the relationship's restored, and, and I'm not talking about that. But, but forgiving, for, for letting it go, letting them off the hook, no matter what they've done. And for Peter, it made a lot of sense. It seemed very spiritual to say, seven. And Jesus just blew it out of the water. His ways are higher. His forgiveness is bigger than ours. Okay, thirdly, let's keep moving. Um, oh, I had one more great example. I can't do it. Can't do it. Do you want to hear it anyway? Oh, it was really good. It was really good. So, so I, a few years ago in the news, I, I, I saved this story. It was so great. There, there, was a, there was a father and a teenager. I was doing all that teenage talk, and I forgot this thing. A father and a teenager in Michigan are sitting uh, in the living room watching TV, and the father's on the couch, and, and the son is laying on the ground in the living room, laying on the floor, on the carpet. And the father gets up to make cookies. And he gets up to make cookies, and he tells his son, the true story, he tells his son, 
to get up off the floor and lay on the couch if he's going to lay down. And the son listened. He got up off the floor and he laid on the couch. And right after that, a, a truck came crashing through their living room. Someone had lost control of their car and they came crashing through the living room and, and they knocked the TV and the TV flew over to the part the, uh, of the floor where the son was just lying. The TV landed like right there where he, where he used to be. Now, teenagers, I know, if your parents say get up off the floor, you get up off the floor, you know, just do it. You don't know. And so I say to you adults, if God says obey me, then do it. What's so hard about this? You know the way. Okay. Was that worth it? That was worth it. That was worth it. Okay. Number three. Number three. Uh, our, our resource for repenting. How are we going to get this done? Well, verse 10 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So our resource for repenting is the Bible. It's the Word of God. When it says, it will not return to me empty, some translations say void, it, it, it's gonna, the Bible's going to do everything God wants it to do. It will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Uh, we call that, uh, theologians call that infallibility. Nice big word, infallibility. Infallibility means... The Bible can't be in error because God is completely trustworthy. And so the Bible's completely trustworthy, and it's going to do everything God wants it to do. Whatever he wants it to do, it's going to, it's going to get it done. Um, so, uh, it's very popular in the new year to start a Bible reading plan. I highly encourage it. I encourage you to think about how you're digging into this book. Uh, there's many different ways to do it. Y- you can take larger chunks. You can do chapters a day. You could do one chapter a day. You could do three verses a day and have a little notebook out and write down your observations from those three verses. When I, when I was at Moody, Andrew, you probably remember this. Remember uh, Dr. Sauer's three-verse-a-day club? Remember that? Uh, we had a professor that always challenged us to do three verses a day. You get your notebook out. Write down your observations, three verses a day. And, and, you can, and he, he, had, he even knew like how, how, many, how much of the Bible you could get through doing three verses a day by the time you died, if you lived to however many years he had in his, in his formula. Um, and he said uh, when we get to heaven, he was going to have buttons for us, and they were going to say three verses a day buttons. You know, you could wear one. Um, if it's three, that's great. That's fine. Get your little notebook out and write some stuff down. If it's a chapter a day, sometimes when people read a chapter a day, what I always encourage them, you can get bogged down sometimes when you, when you read large sections. So I say, ask God when you read those bigger sections to give you a verse. Give you just like a little verse in all of that that was just for you, just for that day. And then read it. Now, some people read larger sections and they want to get the overarching view of what God is doing. That's cool too. That's a great way to do it. Uh, if you Google Bible reading plans, you're going to find a lot of different options out there. They've got apps for it. They've got everything you need. I think the office even has some Bible reading stuff that we have here at church. If the computer's okay. We'll see. Um, so uh, th- there's a lot of different things you can do. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, small groups coming up here at church in the next few weeks. How can you 
connect with the Bible. This is your resource. This tells you what your life should look like. This is your mirror. You've got to look in your mirror. Uh, one time I read this story. I can't remember if I've told it here or not, but it's a great one. Uh, Christian magazine, and someone writes in and says, uh, I'm done reading my Bible. I'm done going to church. I go to church 52 weeks a year, and I listen to all these sermons, and I can't remember but maybe one or two. That's like it is here, I know. But um, and he says, I read my Bible. I used to read my Bible every day. I can't remember what I read. I mean, I can't remember what I read two weeks ago. What's the point? I'm done. And then he signed his name, uh, Bored and Busy. And as the story goes, uh, a person wrote in in response to that letter the next week, and, and that person wrote in a letter and said, um, you know what? I'm done eating. Because honestly, I eat three meals a day, and I can't remember what I ate last week. I don't know if it was good or bad. I mean, I had some bad ones and good ones, but I, I, I can't recall anything. So I, I am done eating, signed, starved and stupid. <laughs> Now, we all have excuses why we can't get into the Bible. It's too hard to understand. It's too big. It's too long. You know, it's, we have our reasons. At the end of the day, they're stupid. And at the end of the day, if we don't dig in, then we're starving. You notice he says, um, I'm giving, it's like rain that, that causes there to be bread for us. What verse am I in here? Oh, I lost my page. Here we are. Um, verse 10 is the rain and the snow come down from heaven and they water the earth making it bud and flourish so that there's seed for the sower and bread for the eater so is my word you need it more than your next meal that's the point you need it more than your next meal and if you're going to live a life of repentance of, of turning to the Lord to continue to turn to him and turn away from sin you're going to need this to get you there uh, obviously you should pray too Obviously, the Holy Spirit's involved in, in, in us turning to the Lord, but this is called the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit wants to use this to get you to turn. Okay. Uh, lastly, number four, uh, last verses. Now, now, the last verses, if you were in exile and you were in Babylon, you were deported from your land and you're a Jewish person, you want to go back, and if you read these verses... Think about how you would feel. You will go out in joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. All the trees in the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will go the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. If you were to read that, you'd be like, we're going back. We're leaving with joy. And as we go, trees are going to be clapping for us. It's like everything's just going to work. The other thing you should notice about this is, you know in Genesis chapter 3 when God cursed the earth, Adam and Eve sinned, right? And the earth got cursed. And suddenly the land wasn't going to work out very well with us. This is like a reversing of that. The mountains and the hills are doing everything they're supposed to. The trees are working together. Uh, there's no more thorn bush. There's, there's the pine tree. No more briars. There's the myrtle. It's like God is reversing the curse here. And you're being led forth in joy and peace. In fact, um, I don't know if I have it on the screen. I don't think I did that. But if you just write, want to write a cross-reference here, this is Romans 14:17. 17. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. And I see at least two of those right here, joy and peace. When you're a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, you see some of the results, not all, some of the results of the curse from Genesis turn around. Yes, we still get sick. Yes, we're all, we're all going to die. Like, like the curse is still there. But there are, there are some things in your life that God, that has been under the curse, that has been under sin, that has been decaying and bad, and God just wants to turn that around. I don't know what those things will be for you. I don't know. But I do know that the life in the kingdom is one of righteousness, joy, and peace. And God wants to turn things around. He wants to turn things around from the curse and bring blessing into your life. I know that. The Bible says that. doesn't mean the way is going to be simple. I mean, the exiles were still exiled at that point. But there was a time of freedom coming. So, I only say this in anticipation of this year. What will God turn around to blessing in your life? And what do you need to repent of to be in the right place to receive it? What do you need to turn from in order to receive whatever that blessing is God wants to do? I mean, it's not like you earn the blessing, by the way, just so we're clear. It's all grace. Grace helps you turn to God. Grace gives you the blessing. It's not like you're earning the blessing, but it's just being in the place of saying, God, whatever you got for me, I'll take it. I'll take it. And then watch him give it. This is repentance. The curse is replaced with blessing. Sometimes at Christmas time, you know, you give your kids toys and uh, eventually those toys break. And then dad comes to the rescue. Sometimes mom comes to the rescue. Get the super glue. Get the duct tape. We'll put that thing back together, you know. I don't know what's broken in your life, but it might be that God wants to put some things back together. It's his will. He decides it. It's his timing. He has that in mind. But... You better believe he wants to replace some of the results of the curse in your life. That's what he does. Let's pray. Worship team, would you come up now? Father, we, uh, we love you.